What's up, everybody? This is Rafael Garcia back on Thursday, July 20th for another edition of the MMA Ratings Podcast. I'm back here with my one and only co-worker, uh, Shawan Humes. How you doing there, sir? Oh, you know me doing good as always. Glad, glad to be on another episode of the show with you. Awesome, man. Awesome. We got quite a bit to talk about today. But before we do that, first and foremost, I want to say thank you for all those who listen to our show each and every week. Um, please be, sh- be sure to like our content here on YouTube. Give us a like and a follow on uh, Instagram and Twitter at um, MMA Ratings Net on both locations. Be sure to like our content over on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and right here where you're listening to us tonight. So, again, thank you for your time, and we hope you appreciate the show and the conversation we're going to have. How are you doing there, sir? Man, I'm good. Just been uh, reading up on all the upcoming events and uh, been uh, very entertained by some of the news that's been coming out recently. You know, it's weird, man. I feel like it was a quiet week, but it wasn't a quiet week at the same time. Um, we had some fights this weekend, but nothing really major came from them. So we have that. And then we have still two more weeks worth of fights coming up that we still have to kind of discuss and get ready to prepare for. So let's go ahead and jump right on in. Um, let's look at some of the news stories from this week. And probably the one that was most interesting to me was the story about Bellator and Bellator NYC, Bellator 180, and UFC 213. The pay-per-view numbers for both of those shows were rather amazingly low. Um, it seems like the estimates are for both shows to hit around 150,000 buys, which is interesting because that number for Bellator is kind of like, you know, this is good, this is satisfying, this is around what we thought we were going to get. The uh, This was their second pay-per-view venture. The first one ended up, I think, around like 200,000 buys. For the UFC, the monologue is completely different. I mean, this is 150,000 buys. No one other than Demetrius Johnson has seen numbers that low, which is interesting because we're going to talk about Demetrius in a minute. But 150,000 buys is not good for the UFC. And this is on top of the fact that this was International Fight Week and Tough Finale 25 also had some bad ratings as well. So, Schwann, when you see these numbers and you see how bad they are, what are your thoughts about uh, what's going on here? Well, for for Bellator, I've heard some people say that they feel like Bellator is taking a step back, but I don't. I don't see how they can make that statement because Bellator's first pay-per-view did a little bit over 100,000. So if they equal that, much less improved on that, I, I don't see how it's a negative. I know they had big names on it, and I know they were trying to. They were, it was heavily promoted, but the fact of the matter is, Chael Sonnen was just coming off of a very widely viewed loss to Tito Ortiz on TV, and then you had Fedor, who's popular, but he's not really casually popular. I mean, they didn't have anybody who had any sort of cachet like a, you know, like a McGregor or even a Jose Aldo or BJ Penn. All they've got people are people who used to be stars and people who weren't really considered top-end fighters. So considering you have a bunch of people who were on the decline or just about on their way out of the sport or who are just fairly new in the sport, don't have much of a name, they weren't facing big names, anything over 100,000 over 100,000 to me is a success because no matter how much you heavily promote non-name fighters it's not going to sell and the ufc 213 is proof of that they had two of the best middleweights in the world probably two the two best middleweights in the world 
and they were advertised to have the two best bantamweights in the world, and it and it didn't really do any numbers. And those were two really quali- high-level quality fights. So if you're going to excuse the UFC, you can't really get down on Bellator because Bellator is thought of as a, a second option and alternative MMA to the UFC. So anything they do is good unless it goes below below 100,000. If they go 100,000 and up, I consider it a success. And, you know, maybe it's just because I'm on the fringe of burnout when it comes to uh, MMA as a whole right now, but I can't really remember anything else that was on UFC. Was it 212, 213 fight card? Um, Other than Whitaker and Romero. Beyond that, I can't really remember too much that was on that showcase. So, I mean, it's it's really it's really perplexing to see these numbers, especially both events, seeing them struggling so much. But it doesn't surprise me so much because I know that again, you know, this is summertime, um, and this these weren't marquee events. This isn't like UFC 214 that has a girth of amazing fights that people just will want to see, regardless of the fact. And I feel like it didn't. Even when Amanda Nunez and Valentina Shevchenko were on the main card and were scheduled to fight, it didn't get the same type of promotion as other fights have around it. So these numbers surprise me, but at the same time, they don't surprise me. Well, a lot of people keep talking about the UFC needs to learn how to promote people. And I argue that the UFC never learned how to promote people. They give you a platform, and the people who have star talent and know how to work the system excel and the people who don't conor mcgregor was going to be a star regardless he already had a fan base paige van zandt isn't huge but she has a fan base your favor has a fan base certain people come in with an automatic in with the crowd they have amanda nunez i know they haven't they haven't marketed her correctly i'm not going to lie and say they have but the fact of the matter is she's just not that popular i said this before she's not that popular in her own country she's just not if she she's not like anderson silva she's not like jose aldo she's not like the Nagara brothers and you can say part of that is the UFC's fault. But if you're just naturally popular in your own country, that's going to shine through. Conor McGregor had a huge fan following before he became a star in the UFC. That's an actual fact. She doesn't. How was that an actual fact? Well, when he came and over, how, like, it was, there, there was a lot of hype behind him. There were people, have you seen this guy? Oh, he'd be great in the UFC. I mean, his first fight in, he, he, they were like expecting a lot of fans come into Boston just to watch him. He already had a fan base. I don't know who Nunez, Nunez's fan base is. I'm not saying she doesn't have one. I just, I just don't know who it is. I don't know who these people who are willing to put their hard-earned money down to come see her or to support her by buying pay-per-views. I, I just haven't seen the results. Now, the UFC haven't, hasn't maxed out her success. They haven't maxed out what they could do with her. In fact, they've probably done more harm than good with her career. But just in and of herself, you know, like even when the UFC was slandering Conor McGregor, he still brought on a certain amount of people. Even when people were against Uriah Faber for getting his 15th title shot, he still had a certain amount of fans supporting him because of the work he did on his own. You know, same thing with um, Demetrius Johnson. I mean, they're essentially putting up those kind of, they, those people have kind of created their own lanes. I don't know that Amanda Nunes has even been given the opportunity by the UFC or that she's taken it upon herself to do that. You can't just say UFC pushed me. That's not enough. You have to do a certain amount of legwork on your own to get to the point in the fame that you want to be in. And it takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. It just doesn't. And just because she beat Ronda and she beat Misha, it's like in boxing when Mosley beat Oscar De La Hoya. Shane Mosley didn't become a superstar. That's he, true. He, he, beat, he, beat, he beat Oscar De La Hoya. He did not become a bigger star as De La Hoya. And oftentimes when you beat a star, 
That does not turn you into a star. It just means you beat them. You don't get their fans automatically. You don't get their paychecks because you don't draw as much interest. And she's not as she doesn't draw as much interest as Misha Tate. They didn't push Misha. How come Misha has such a huge fan base? Because Misha did it on her own. Misha had put in the time. Rhonda had done a lot. Yeah, they pushed Rhonda, but Rhonda did a lot on her own. She helped develop that fan base. Amanda Nunes is still fairly new in the sport, and she hasn't done, in my opinion, she hasn't done much work in and of herself to get herself out there. Conor McGregor did a lot of work to get himself out there and to make a name for himself. Amanda Nunes, to me, has not done as much. The UC hasn't done her any favors, but she hasn't done herself any favors by forcing their hand by showing them a fan base. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with you on, on some of those points. Um, I would argue with you on others, um, but I look at these rating numbers and I wonder how concerned both organizations are. You know, on one hand, you got to look at what Bellator may be saying, like, okay, how can we recover from this? What can we do next? What should we do next? And then on the other side, you have to think what 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 is what is out there what options are available for the organization and really i don't think both groups really have much of a say either way i mean one you have the ufc who i mean they can't really they have to put on all these shows which is kind of diluting the overall product they have to because they have to pay the piper for um the, the the recent sale they have to kind of recoup that money so there's that and bellator on the other side bellator still has the backing of viacom um and spike so they can really kind of continue to test these waters to see what works and what doesn't so i really don't expect much of a change from either group well bellator also they're mostly a tv they're only going to run like they're talking about maybe two or three pay-per-views a year you can take that kind of hit because the exposure if done right should bleed over into their TV, their big tentpole TV events, and their average ratings on TV. That's where the majority of their influence is spread. They're not spending tons of money setting up pay-per-views. I don't think they, they've done it before, and they're not going to do it now. It might be, what, three, four a year? You can absorb that kind of loss. It, and the fact of the matter is, they're not paying guys three and four hundred thousand dollars. They're not paying multiple people three hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, a hundred thousand to show and win. Most of the people on the Beltor car aren't making that kind of money. You know, they're coming over there, they get sponsorship money and other kind of things, but they're not getting that huge payday that the UFC spends when they're filling out a pay-per-view event. So financially, they're not spending as much money either. It, to, to me, it looks like just a win for Bellator. I know it might not be the win people expected, but the fact of the matter is it increased on their previous pay-per-view. So how can, how can you call that a failure? I mean, no offense, Chel Sonnen is as good as he can talk and as much as he can sell a fight. The fact is he got crushed in his last fight by a guy who retired right afterwards and he was fighting another guy who hadn't fought in what three four years i mean that's a hard sell even for the best salesman but the fact what? of the matter is that card was all over espn all over fox news it was all over the mainstream media because of heather hardy because of um aaron aaron pico they got a lot of attention that if they handle it right with good fights and good cards they can keep moving forward bellator has routinely been in the news for big signings and good fights and big events this only helps them moving forward because they're they're not the they're not the one they're not number one. All they can do is go up. I don't really think there's enough competition for them to move backwards. So to me, it's there's no problem. They're just going to stay the course. Yeah, when I look at Bellator, I think that they're kind of they're the tortoise in this story here. You know, they're running they're running a race, a long term race, with the intention of winning 
with just um, consistency over time. And I'm not saying that they will win, um, but my opinion personally, I really just think that they got to stay away from pay-per-view. That's just my opinion. Um, I don't see how that works for them right now uh, because everyone is so used to getting their product for free and they don't have the fights i believe that makes pe make people want to purchase i mean look at the main and co-main event for their this this event here kurt uh, uh chelson in versus who did he fight um wanderlei against they have that fight then they have mitrione and fedor i mean those fights really don't mean much they exactly. don't, and they don't, and there's not, it's not like it's a up-and-comer that is overly, like, the UFC can put, as you mentioned, you know, the UFC can put gotten some names in fights that don't matter, and it would still sell, like Nate Diaz versus Conor McGregor. That fight didn't matter the first time around, but not it's still all. sold. Bellator cannot do that, and I think that if they're, they have to move away from that if they are going to continue using this pay-per-view model instead i think they need to stick to stick to television and stick to putting on the best fights that they possibly can because they can put on some great fights they can they can do so they can put some matchups together that are fights that will make people want to stop on their friday evening and tune in to see what happens yeah well they, they just need more depth they don't have enough depth to really have pay-per-views but if you look at it from the other perspective when was the last time you would ever say a bellator pay-per-view would match the numbers of a ufc pay-per-view Regardless of however what happened and who fell out of the card, the fact of the matter is the Bellator, the Bellator card, and the UFC card were were definite were basically dead even. And even beyond that, man, like we're talking about matching, um, matching numbers. If we look at what happened last weekend, Bellator's event outdid the UFC event. Period. Like there's no massaging the numbers. There's no none of that. Bellator is brought in. Bellator peaked at seven. I want to say seven seventy five, and the UFC peaked at six something along those lines. So there's no way you can shake it or kind of mold these numbers. The um, UFC's got the burden of being number one. They're supposed to have big numbers and make and have sellouts and all that kind of stuff. Bellator, nobody, well, I mean, there's a lot of people in MMA who still don't consider Bellator a legitimate organization because they have so many freak show fights and squash matches. So, I mean, anything they can do seems like a success. Anytime they get a higher rating, that's a win. They don't have the name cachet of the UFC. They don't have the name cachet of fighters who had titles or fought on FS1 a million times or fought on Fox a million times or fought on pay-per-view a million times. They've got a bunch of guys who are like, you know, who fought overseas, who are known to MMA hardcores, but they're not known to anybody else. And when you put it in that perspective, I don't see how you can't say those numbers for Bellator aren't a success. I mean, they're outdrawing the UFC on TV shows, and their last pay-per-view matched the UFC pay-per-view. Even if you want to say it was a weak card and there wasn't a lot on it, that's, that's what you say in hindsight to excuse it. You had the two best middleweights fighting for a title, and it was a lot of buildup, and it was supposed to be Shevchenko and Nunes, and even with that, that... That, that wouldn't have put them over over Bellator either. So Bellator with a bunch of second and third rate fighters headlining still was able to match the UFC. That means something. You can say it's a bad look on on Bellator, but what does that mean for the UFC? You just got bought for four billion. You're supposed to be the biggest organization on the on the planet for MMA. How is Bellator matching you in pay-per-view buys? 
you know what I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna compare this to I'm gonna compare this to the current edition of the video game console wars and this is what I'm, this is how I'm gonna make this work um, I'm not sure if you're a video game player or not but you know the big the big dogs in the industry right now are Sony and Microsoft and yeah. They are at a point where the, I don't know what generation number this is per se, but Sony has a PS4, Microsoft has an Xbox One, um, and they just announced Xbox One X. Xbox One X, yes, correct. So every month there's reports that come out saying what console was sold the most per month. And I think since 2014, since the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One were launched, PlayStation has won. 90 to 95% of those months, meaning their consoles have sold more. There was a stretch in time when the Xbox was selling more because they had lowered their price and Xbox was winning. They were winning battles, but they weren't winning the war. They would win two months here, three months there, and then PlayStation would sweep the rest of the year. They would turn around and they would do something else. They would win two months here, win three months here. PlayStation would sweep, sweep the rest of the uh, year. The, the UFC and Bellator are in a similar situation where Bellator does things like if you look at maybe if you look if we look back at July, we may say, hey, Bellator won July because their events produced better ratings when compared head to head Friday events against um, Saturday events. This is two this is two weekends of data that we have now. But overall, that may not be the case long term, and I don't think it will ever be the case long term. Yeah, uh, you're you're probably you're probably right about that. The one thing this does prove is all the fighters constantly talk about, you know, it's about who's the fighter. I don't want to sell it. I don't want to be like McGregor and over the top. I don't want to do a bunch of shows like Rousey. But the fact of the matter is, if you don't sell pay-per-views, if you're not getting ratings, that salary bump you want for fighters, that's not happening. If it's not happening when you're selling out pay-per-views doing 500,000, 750,000, it's not going up for 135,000. It's not going up for those ratings. So all those fighters who want to get better money, who want to get sponsorship opportunities, who want to have crossover opportunities, you need to have people who can break out and be stars. You need to hope that Paige Van Zandt and Sage Northcutt and Cynthia Cavillo and whoever else they're grooming for stardom, you better hope they make those, they take that next step because that's what keeps the lights on. That's what brings the big money in. That's what exposes you to all the, the bigger sets of fans and get you those million dollar paydays. Ask Eddie Alvarez how his life changed by fighting Conor McGregor. Ask Nate Diaz how his life changed by fighting Conor McGregor. Like Conor said, I changed your bum life. You need those stars. He saw what happened to Demetrius Shopton. He doesn't have a star. He doesn't have anybody to go against. And he's making good money, but he's not making the money he could if he had one person, one or two people who he could draw who could bring people in and evoke an emotion. So things like this matter for fighters because you're asking for more money because you're the best, but you can't put butts in seats. It doesn't matter if Amanda Nunes is the very best band and weight woman to fighter in the world. She can't draw. And if you can't draw, it's gonna, you can't be on pay-per-view. And at some point it's gonna come to an end because they have to pay you a percentage of that. You have to get paid a very big paycheck to not draw. That's not gonna be appealing for, for a company. Why am I giving you all this money when you're not bringing anything else in? I might as well put you on a Fox, an FS1 car or a Fox car. I'm not putting you on pay-per-view. You don't draw. You're costing me money for promotion and opportunities, but you're, I'm not getting any return on that investment. So fighters need to think about stuff like this when they're thinking about what direction they want to go to or, or who needs to make it or who they wish ill on, because those people who they're wishing ill on are the people who keep the lights on. The stars keep the lights on. The other people give the stars something to bounce off, a challenge, an obstacle, but the stars are what keep the lights on.
the people, it's same thing in music, same thing in sports. You could have a bunch of, a team full of average guys. Tom Brady's the one who's winning these games. Peyton Manning's the one winning these games. Adrian Peterson, the one who takes that team from average to above average. It's just the way it works in real life. The standout stars are the ones who keep the lights on and keep things moving. And obviously right now, the UFC is very thin on them. Bellator is even more thin, but given Bellator's reign, they don't have to do those kind of numbers. The expectation is lower. So whatever they do is actually a success. Whatever the UFC does is compared to what they were doing this time last year, which was a lot better. Yeah, um, I'm not going to disagree with you there on that. Let's uh, keep moving down some of the agenda today because we've got a couple other things to talk about. We mentioned Demetrius Johnson and Amanda Nunez earlier as we talked about this show here. Um, and we got something to talk about now because both Amanda Nunez and Anthony Johnson are, excuse me, um, what I don't I don't know what you're rubbing against, but I can kind of hear it in the okay. speakers right there. Yeah, there you go. That sounds that sounds much better. But um, Demetrius Johnson was announced to be fighting Ray Borg at UFC 215, which is also going to feature the uh, Amanda Nunez Valentina Shevchenko rematch, which has been rebooked from UFC 213. That's scheduled for September. That was announced today. I find this um, interesting because. We're looking at a fight now. We're looking at a card that has Demetrius Johnson and, and Ray Borg. Two men, well, Demetrius Johnson, who we know has struggled to be a pay-per-view draw across the board. And then we have Valentina Shevchenko and Amanda Nunez, two individuals that we questioned if they could headline UFC 213. And I almost feel like someone needs to put on an Admiral Akbar uh, mask right now from Star Wars and yell out that this is a trap because I feel like this is a very this is a this is a a trap because we heard what um, Dana White said about uh, Demetrius Johnson leading into the whole conversation about trying to make him fight T.J. Dillashaw we saw that and then at the same time. We know that Amanda Nunez is a questionable draw. Yeah, she's brought in big numbers with UFC 205 and UFC uh, 200. But what is this event going to look like? Because I don't think that this is going to draw big numbers. It's in, it's in Edmonton. A lot of the rest of the card hasn't been announced yet. I want to look now and see. But initial thoughts, what do you think about this card from a um, statistical standpoint? Shwani there. Looks like he may have dropped off. Hold on one second. Let me see. <sighs> Give me one second, guys. Sorry about that. Give me one second, guys. So while he looks to log back into the chat, you back there, Sean? Yeah, sorry about that. No, 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 y'all good, man. Technical difficulties happen. So we're talking about um, Anthony John, not Anthony Johnson. I keep doing that. Demetrius. Demetrius Johnson and Amanda Nunez headlining UFC 215. What are your initial thoughts when you saw that? Do you think that this is a 
good idea? Do you think this is a bad idea? Do you think this is one that I kind of looked at? I'm like, man, is the UFC going? To, are they trying to set up um, set up both of these fighters to fail? You know, I, I I thought the same thing you thought at first, and I still kind of think that. But I had another I had another look on it. If you think about it, with the whole beef with Demetrius Johnson, Dana White. And the TJ Dillashaw, you know, is he going to fight him? But if he wants to fight Ray Borg, even though it's not positive and it's not real promotion, this is the most promotion that Demetrius Johnson fights gotten in years. Because it's been all in the news, and Demetrius constantly saying, I want to fight Ray Borg, I want to fight Ray Borg. Dana White complaining about fighting Ray Borg. I mean, in a certain instance, this is the most attention his, his fight has ever gotten. So it might work in his favor. It might work where people are going to pay attention because they've heard so much about it on the various websites and on the various TV shows and on the various podcasts. It, it might work in their favor. Same thing with Nunes Shevchenko. She just pulled out of a fight. It's negative attention, but it's still a lot of attention. Both, fight, both fights and both sets of fighters have gotten as a result of Dana White running his mouth and fans arguing about who should have pulled out, who should take this fight, who's ducking who. So from a preliminary standpoint, do you think that this fight is going to do more a better draw than what it was initially thought about if we if we take those two situations away and let them stand on their own uh, i think i think so i mean we we've seen what ha we've seen how they promote demetrius johnson without any drama we've seen what his fights the numbers his fights generate regardless of it's competitive or not i don't see how this can't help i i just don't see how some way this this cannot help because he never gets half of this this kind of attention We've been talking about Demetrius Johnson and Ray Borg in some form or fashion for essentially the past month and a half, two months. Usually nobody's talking about any of his potential fights because people figure he's going to win and the guy has no hope. Now we've had the drama of Dana saying he's cherry picking, Demetrius saying close the whole division down. It's got a little bit of burn. It's got somewhat of some, some momentum. Not necessarily positive momentum, but it's got some. I mean, when's the last time you talked about Demetrius Johnson this much in his, one of his fights this much? I mean, it's been a while. Remember, I said that when we first started talking about this, that, you know, the funny thing about this whole situation is that this is the most we have been talking about him. And it's funny because there was a story this week about him backtracking his comments uh, since the whole situation, the whole blowout last month, that he's been backtracking and kind of taking a step back from what he said in reference to the UFC. And people were like, well, maybe some deal has been made at some point in time. And then this came out. So it looks like there's definitely been a deal made in place. I'm looking forward to seeing what the show does from a draw standpoint. And I'm looking forward to seeing what type of money he makes overall um, in this uh, event. Yeah, it'll be very interesting. It, I mean, let's just say this, this, this show does numbers or better numbers. Is this going to be like the WWE where you're going to have the, the, the face against the, the boss of the organization and they're going to use that to generate ratings because he's going against the man, if you know what I mean? Because, I mean, if this works, it worked for Conor McGregor when he said he was retiring, he got all his attention. And if this works and it gets ratings, people are going to start wondering about the authenticity of it because it seems real weird that all of a sudden everything got wrapped up so smoothly and Demetrius mm -hmm. Johnson got, got what he wanted and now Dana White's co-signing it. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. That's definitely something um, questionable that I won't be surprised if people question. I mean, people are always going to question the beef aspect of um, 
mixed martial arts, whether it be one side or the other. So that's always going to be what, up in the air. Better than beefing with another fighter, beefing with your boss. That's sold. That's, they had movies, books, rest, wrestling angles built solely around the argument of you going against your boss, and that's how they push it, and that's how people relate to it. Because there's somewhat of a backlash against Dana White, so it looks like Demetrius is standing up to his boss who's trying to intimidate him, and he got what he wants. The little guy won. I mean, there's a lot of storylines you can make off of this. I'm not saying it's fake, but I can see this becoming a trend if it works. Yeah, I'm not going to um, disagree with you there on that. Um, I'm not going to ask you to do any preliminary breakdowns of these fights because they're interesting, but I don't want to get into that yet. I just wanted to kind of focus on the idea of this is a fight where two people are two questionable draws are booked on the same event let me let, let me check real quick and see if anyone else has been mentioned on this card because i can't think of can i ask you one question about this yeah, go ahead because I, I heard this i don't know where i heard this but i heard this a year ago where somebody was saying that the ufc was cutting back on the they're going to cut back on the pay-per-views at some point and the pay-per-views were only going to be for people who sell and things like fox and fs1 main and co-main we're going to be for people like Demetrius Johnson and other champions who don't draw. Do you think this becomes the trend now, like the lower drawing champions? Or um, I don't think that, I, I don't think so because they need to they need to they need to figure out a way to pay for that damn loan that purchased the organization. I mean, I think that they're going to do the best they can to try to build these individuals up and make the biggest sales available. Um, they need to. I personally believe that looking at their Fox events, um, because they did mention something of a tiered system. You know, they're going to have the pay-per-views, then the big Fox events, and then the Fox Sports events. But the Fox and Fox Sports events are looking very similar to each other. I. I don't want to say I understood that, but I figured and I kind of thought that maybe the UFC would look at using the pay-per-view events to have these two title um, cards where two champions are defending their belts then maybe have one champion defend their title on Fox with another fight being like a title contender, number one contender matchup, and then using the Fox Sports platform as a platform to grow new fighters, but that's completely gone out of the window. I mean, this weekend we have Kelvin Gastelum and Chris Wyman, two guys who are nowhere near the 185-pound title picture fighting, and they're, you know, they're the main event. Last week we had... They're not draws. Last week we had um, Santiago Ponsonibio and Gunnar, uh, Gunnar Nelson fighting in, in the main event. They're not draws. We had um, Kevin Lee and Michael Chiesa. You know that was a that was a pretty interesting fight there. You know it, it was interesting for maybe all the wrong reasons, but exactly that happened. Drama, not the fight itself. That happened. So it's really like it's really like the tiered system that was mentioned to being put in place has kind of gone away, and now we're at a system where it's, it's like not the Wild West, but let's put together the cards we can put together and hope that people sit down and watch yeah it's getting close it's like we're just gonna throw a bunch of stuff and hopefully something sticks and then when it sticks we're gonna say we built it we built a star we built a champion that's not how they work they're just literally throwing stuff at the wall now yeah really throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks there um so let's continue moving on this our next news story is uh steve Miocic is waiting out his contract issues before taking another fight and I think, man, I saw this story and I was like, oh, crap. Because when coupled with the fact that Cain Velasquez is hurt again, it's, it's 
I mean, it's, it's kind of like whatever the hell's going on. Because there was a story earlier this week that the UFC had, had booked a fight between Velasquez and Kane, or excuse me, Velasquez and Miocic for October. But um, that's got to completely have gone to hell because you got Velasquez who's saying he's still hurt. And then you got Miocic saying that he wants to have his contract dealt with. So you still have... Alistair Overeem sitting out there who I don't think is anywhere near a title shot. You have Francis Ngannou fighting JDS um, at UFC 215 as well, I believe. Let me check. Um, yep, that's at UFC 215. But I think the heavyweight division might be headed for some trouble and headed for some trouble quite quickly. Well, the heavyweight division, being that it's so thin, it's always in trouble because you never have more than maybe three people were legitimate contenders. That's why we had that, what, three-time fight with JDS and Kane. Like, who else were they going to fight? They'd essentially beat everybody. And Stipe's kind of in the same situation. He's beat Overeem. He beat JDS. Uh, he, I, I don't want I don't know if he fought Mark Hunt. I want to say he might have fought Mark Hunt, too. He did. He battered Mark Hunt. He beat him half, well, I don't say he beat him half to death, but he beat the shit out of that dude. Beat Mark Hunt. He beat Andre Arvlovsky. I mean, who are these, I mean, except for Ngannou and some of the lower-level heavyweights, who hasn't he beat? So now it's getting to the point where he's going to have rematches with people. And, you know, if, if, if they're not big matchups, they're not going to draw big money on pay-per-view. So it's like there's more of a risk for him, and there's really no reward outside of getting your paycheck, which clearly he is not happy with. Because the UFC really hasn't been enamored with Stipe. He's, not, he's a good guy. He's got a good story. But I don't think he's the kind of champion they want i mean you know they ufc has a type of champion they want it's not just a color like a white guy or something like that they want a guy who kind of is flashy and draws people in and stipey is just like a blue collar guy stipe hey, sorry Stipe. <laughs> he, he just does his job he knocks people out and goes about his business he doesn't really have a q rating he doesn't really i mean he has fans but he doesn't have those rabid fans who are just going to put in money and fill up you know organize fill up a arena from coast to coast so it's like, you know, he probably feels ignored and downplayed. And the UFC is probably thinking, well, I mean, yeah, you're the champ. But, I mean, you're not making us any money with you being champ. So you should really just take what you have. So, I mean, if he sits out, that puts the whole division on lock. And there's not really much of a division as it stands right now. In fact, him being out of the picture might be best for the division. Because he's already beaten all the top contenders, the top, most of the top ten heavyweights in the UFC. Yeah. I mean, what do you what do you do? I mean, it's all it's almost all re rematches now. So I mean, what, what do you what do you really do? Who, that's why that's why Kane Velasquez's name is getting brought up. The only person he hasn't fought is like Derek Lewis and Ngannou. And imagine if Ngannou gets knocked out by JDS. Are they gonna have him and Stipe fight for the third time? Stipe fight for the third time after Stipe just iced him in less than you know in a couple couple minutes, like a couple months ago. Is I mean, to be honest, I think that. The solution is they better hope John Jones wins and bumping him up, talking him into fighting, going up to um, 205 and winning there. How about even if how about even if Cormier loses, he moves back up to heavyweight. He was originally a heavyweight. True. I mean, you know, you know, the funny thing is, I was thinking about this. The reason he dropped from heavyweight was so he didn't have to fight Kane Velasquez. That's true. He's dropped, Kane has hardly ever fought. So he That's could have heavyweight and possibly been the champion in the first place. That's so, very true there. If Kane can't fight for a while, Kane's nowhere near a title shot. Why isn't, why isn't Cormier, hey, Cormier, take some extra money, fight Stipe. That's 
that'd be the biggest fight Stipe would have as far as a name guy, a guy who's got some cachet, and a guy who's a former champion. They could make that. Even if he loses to John Jones, that's the best fighter. That's the best fighter in the world, pound for pound. You could still sell a Cormier Stipe fight, and if Stipe beats Cormier, then that makes the Jones possible Jones Stipe fight even better, even bigger. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I agree with you on that there. I think um, I think it will be interesting to see if Jones does make that jump, if he can defeat um, Daniel Cormier. But I think that's another conversation at another day because we're not – that that fight, you know, we're going to talk about that when it comes around. But um, that's a whole other piece to the conundrum that needs to kind of be figured out to, to see what's going to happen next. Yeah, you know how bad your division is when you're looking to – people a division low to come up with interesting matchups. That's how bad the division is. Yeah, and you know, and it's funny, man, because I've never been a fan of heavyweight boxing. Or not 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 excuse me, I take that back. I'm not gonna say I'm not a fan. I was never a fan of heavyweight boxing. But now heavyweight boxing isn't what it was. And then heavyweight MMA was never what it what it was hyped up to be to me. Um especially now. And I think we're at a point where it's becoming more and more apparent every single day. Yeah, it, it's hard. To or every single about. bout. Very hard. It's the least competitive division they have in any organization. So we talked about Cain Velasquez um, getting hurt again. Let's also, and so we don't have to go back to that, but let's talk about the Dana White Contender Series. The second uh, showcase went down this past Tuesday. And... Uh, there were two guys walked out with um, no one guy actually walked out this week with a um, a UFC contract. Uh, Sean Mal I can't think of his name right now, but um, I think his first name Sean Sean O'Mallory won a UFC contract this week. Um, Kurt Holobaw actually got back into the UFC um, with his performance at the first. Dana White Contender Series, and he and Boston Palmer, I think that was the other guy's name, got um, titled, or excuse me, got contracts based on how well they fought. What are your preliminary thoughts about the Contender Series? I'm very pleased with what I see. I think this is headed in the right direction. I hope this replaces um, the Ultimate Fighter, because I think that's kind of gone its course, and it's just not as compelling as it used to be, but uh, what are some of your thoughts on this? Because I think that this is a platform that the UFC can use. We need to look at some of the fighters that are on the roster right now, like maybe a Sage Northcutt, Mickey Gall, Paige Van Zant, other women or other men and women who are being brought in, and maybe they're not the most technical people. Maybe there's someone that the UFC has hopes in in the future, but let's see how we can use this platform to build their brand, build their star power. So when they are on um, UFC 300, a part of the main card in four to five years, people will be interested in seeing who they are and they'll know that this person grew through the UFC's feeder system. Yeah, it's, it's like I said, it's, I almost have the same statement I had before. What does this mean for the Ultimate Fighter? Because if you look at reviews of the show on Twitter, which I know is, an exact, is no exact science, but the fact of the matter is people are like, this is what the Ultimate Fighter is supposed to be. Up-and-coming fighters, fighting hard, trying to get a contract without all the extra forced conflict and melodramatic instances on the show. This show is what people want to see. People want to hear about the training stories. They want to see how people work with camps. They want to see them fight. 
they don't want another season of made up drama and made up beef because people are stuck in the house for art of their mind. It's not appealing. It's lost its edge. This is essentially what tough is supposed to be. And so I don't understand how they keep going with the ultimate fighter. If they're going to have this show running parallel to it, it seems, it seems redundant to be quite honest. Like this is a better version of tough because there's none of the extra nonsense. It's just fight. That that's all it is. It's just fight. Um, as far as what they're doing, I, I think a lot. I th- I'm waiting for them to have some female fighters on there. Uh, you know, I, I really am waiting for them to have some female fighters on there because there's a lot of females who would like to be in the UFC, who would like to have an opportunity for some of these divisions, and this would be the perfect platform to have them on. You know, it's like you have a one-shot opportunity of getting a contract, and even if you don't get it, if it's an exciting fight, like I said last week, you're on the UFC's radar for one, and two, that helps you out with your own thing. You know, if you had to go back down to a lower division, a lower organization, like a second-tier organization, or better yet, let's say UFC doesn't sign you, there's other opportunities now. Now the people from Bellator saw you. You were on this big program. You had an exciting fight. You got a little bit of momentum. Now other organizations are looking at you. Maybe you can ask for a little bit more money. Maybe you don't end up in the UFC. Maybe you end up in Bellator. Maybe you end up in the pro professional fighting league. Maybe you end up going overseas into Risen. But it's up to your, as long as you put on a good competitive fight, and, and especially if you won, but you didn't get a contract, it's up to your Q rating. More people have seen you. More people know you can fight. Now you're on somebody's radar on top of the UFCs. Maybe you'll get a better contract offer from somewhere else. Because when it comes down to it, it's about getting, establishing your brand, having a career as a fighter, and making money. The UFC is not the only place to make money. And if somebody makes a legitimate offer to you somewhere else, I would suggest any fighter who's at the stage they're at to be on the show should take it. So there's, there's just a lot of pluses for this. And automatic. And you're not stuck into a contract automatically with the like with the Ultimate Fighter. If you get a good offer somewhere else, you can just go. So this essentially has replaced the Ultimate Fighter, and I think it's I think it's great. I just I wish they had some lighter weight classes, and I wish they'd have some of the female fighters on there because a lot of them are looking for an opportunity. They they still don't get the attention or the run they should, and there's a lot of very good fighters who this would be a perfect setup for in the UFC and out of the UFC. I already said Jessica I and Lauren Murphy should be on this. They both have three or four losses. They haven't won in a while. Put them in. Loser leaves town. Winner keeps their contract. Loser has to go find a job somewhere else. Something with real stakes. That would get some ratings, too. Yeah, that, that would definitely put some real stakes in. I'm, I'm always about those um, fights that have, for lack of a better word, real, real stakes to them. And that is the, that's a way to kind of continue adding intrigue. It's something that... Um, that's something that people will want to see. It's quick. It's only two hours. It's four quick, great. Yeah, I agree. The time frame works out perfectly. One of the main things I thought with the Ultimate Fighter was that um, one of the most interesting points they had about it was having Kraus on there. He was a guy who was on a winning streak, who was already in the UFC and had a secure position in it, and he was on the Ultimate Fighter. A lot of people were just sitting there like, why is he here? He's, he's on a like two or three fight winning streak. His position in the UFC is kind of saved. He's got some momentum. Why would he go on the Ultimate Fighter when he's already basically secured as a fighter in the, in the UFC? To me, that was the only fight that had any drama because he wasn't a guy trying to get back in. He wasn't a guy who had fallen on hard times. He wasn't a guy trying to prove himself. He was the guy who was already established, 
and I know I mean I don't know if he thought it'd get him a better contract. I don't know if he thought it would just be better exposure. But his fights always drew interest to me because he had something to lose. All these other guys weren't in the UFC. They weren't necessarily on the UFC's radar. He was. So a loss in the house, especially if it would have been early on in the initial preliminary rounds, it would have been it would have been huge for him. You know, for him to get wiped out early on by some guy who wasn't who wasn't in the UFC. That would have been a big blow to him. So I was he was the guy I was the most invested in. Not so much because he was struggling and he was trying to find his way back to redemption, but because he was he was already doing well. He's a guy who had something to lose and a reputation and a win streak that would all go away with a loss on the ultimate fighter. Now luckily he lost in what, the semifinals? And he didn't lose in a manner that took away from him as a fighter, but imagine if in the first fight he just got knocked out with one shot. Or he got one he got hit with the right hand and the first shot he took he was out. Or some guy just outclassed him. You know, he, he had, there were real stakes. There were real consequences to the decisions he was making by being on that show. It wasn't like a, a win-win situation. I mean, I guess it overall didn't really hurt his career, but it really could have set him back. It really could have set him back because the time he was on that show, he could have been moving forward with his fights. He could have taken more fights. Maybe he could have got closer to a title shot. Maybe he could have moved up and, and been close to headlining some cards. You'll never know. And, and I don't know his logic for taking the, the tougher route, but his all his fights interested me because he was a guy who was already in a good position and who was risking that to be on the show and compete. Nonetheless, I'm a big fan of the Contender Series. It really shows Dana White's boxing roots, to be honest, because... That's what he's done the majority of his, that's what he did early on. He was a boxing guy, and this is very reflective of Tuesday Night Fights on USA, or HBO After Dark, or the uh, Showbox, where they have prospects, or guy, prospects and some, you know, veterans in there, and they're giving them an opportunity to fight on a major platform and get a win against a credible opponent that might allow them a chance to move up and move forward in their careers. So to me, the Contender Series is very much reminiscent of that. And it just proves that Dana had an extensive boxing background because that's, that's what the show does. Put you in against a certain kind of guy who's going to get you a certain amount of attention and hopefully push you forward into the next level as a fighter, as a name, as a name brand, and just hopefully open up more opportunities and kind of maybe vault you up in the rankings or get you in the public eye so that they have an excuse to use you and move you further. Only difference is in the contender series, it's much more like boxing in, in that there's nothing guaranteed. You could win your fight and it could lead to the UFC. You could win your fight and it could lead to nothing. But like I said, the opportunities will already have been established and somebody's going to see you. And that's the most important thing, having people who matter see you fight and see the reaction you get or see how, how well you how talented you are, how well you fight, and that's going to open up other opportunities. Even if it's not with the UFC, you have Bellator, you have the Professional Fighting League, you have Risen, you have WS, you, excuse me, you, you just have a, a lot of other directions you can go other than just saying, hey, I'm with the UFC, this is how I'm going to do it, and I'm just going to wait on them to call me back or make me an offer. As a fighter, it's irresponsible for you to do that. You have to take care of yourself, you have to take care of your family, and you have to look at the bottom line, which is getting fights, 
ha having regular fights, having a regular paycheck, and having an opportunity to build yourself up. But yeah, like I was saying, it's just a great opportunity altogether. And I just hope these fighters make the most of it. Because opportunities like this don't come, come around very well. And if you don't get the UFC, that's fine too. Try to use it to springboard your career and springboard yourself towards any opportunity where someone will give you an opportunity to join their organization, showcase your skills, showcase your talent, and establish yourself. But um, outside of that, I mean, that, that's really a lot of, that, that's really, uh, that's a big sticking point. I think, I really think that show is going to be, the popularity of it is going to be gaining. And, and I really see the Ultimate Fighters ratings going down. I really expect this show on, in some way or some fashion to replace the Ultimate Fighter. The Ultimate Fighter has had its time. It's very hard to create a formula where they're going to be able to maintain and generate interest. Even if you have really good fighters on the show, even if you have really charismatic coaches, this eight, 10 week thing, it just becomes a grind. It's too formulaic and there's no real way to create enough conflict and create enough genuine conflict and genuine interest in it because it's what we've seen time and time again. So it's just gonna be hard to sell that. Regardless of how they package it, we've already had the heavyweights, we've had the, the internet street fighting, Six Nation, Kimbo, rest in peace. We've done every possible way. We've done the crown of champion. We introduced the weight class. We've had redemption. We've done everything we can with Ultimate Fighter. I just don't know how much further you can go with it. So I really think this contender series is going to be what takes over and replaces it long term down the line. That's the way I see it. So hopefully, I mean, hopefully, and I, honestly, I think it's best for the fighters. I don't like the fact that they get trapped in those contracts with Ultimate Fighter. It, or they have, the UFC has options on them, I think you should just get a chance to show your wares, show your talent, and let the chips fall where they may. You get a contract, cool. You don't, you keep it moving, and you look for the best opportunity available for you. That's what your management's supposed to be for. That's what your management's for. And that's what, that's the benefit of having four or five organizations in the world with people fighting regularly and paying them regularly. So you don't have to get stuck chasing an organization, begging for a chance to be an organization, you can still make a living, you can still build a brand, you can still have the career you want. And, you know, you get enough wins, you get a title in, other, in the organization, you make enough noise in another organization, the UFC will come calling. We've seen that time and time again with a, with a myriad of fighters. So there's no need for them to get so hung up on, I didn't get a contract today. Do, keep doing your thing, find a bigger platform to perform on, Keep winning, keep putting on good fights. UFC is going to be around for years. And if you, if you don't get on, get on with them this go-round, you might get on with them the next go-round. And that's the outlook I think more fighters and more management companies should have. They should not be so hung up on the idea of going straight with the UFC. That's just my opinion. I'm not saying it works for everybody else, but that's my opinion. Let's see, what else do we have here going today? Um... A good thing to talk about, at least briefly to revisit, would be the UFC Glasgow card. It's um, really the, the most important fights were the main event and the co-main event. Um, 
we could start off with the co-main. They had Cynthia Cavillo, and she was facing Joanna Jojo Calderwood. Um, that fight essentially went the way I thought it would. Um, I like Cavillo. She's very talented. She's at a camp where the stage she's at is excellent for development because of the team atmosphere, and they're all used to being in a team wrestling-oriented atmosphere. They've got a lot of structure. They've got a lot of live bodies to go against and they have a varying quality of live bodies, different levels of skill, different levels of experience, different levels of physical ability. So she's able to have people who she can work against, who she can dominate, who she can work against, people who are closer where it's tit for tat, and there's other people who are capable of dominating and outclassing her. And I think you need all three of those and your training partners to help you refine your skills and to help you really get a better sense of awareness for what your style is to understand the flow of a fight, to understand the difference between what it's like when you can dominate somebody, when you have to fight tooth and nail with somebody, and when you're fighting somebody who can essentially dominate you, and you have to be able to survive or keep your mind in the game long enough to find the opening, to get the takedown, to get the submission, to land that key shot that'll turn the fight around. All three of those things are very, very important. If you want to be a fighter, who's going to contend for a title, much less win a title. You have to be getting that kind of exposure and that kind of training being put in those kind of spots for you to be successful moving forward. And I think Team Alpha Male is, is very good with fighters in her position of doing that. Their problem has always been getting guys over the hump to win a title, but they've never had a problem bringing somebody from a rookie in the UFC or WEC and bringing them to the precipice of greatness. They did it with Joseph Benavidez. It's happened with Uriah Faber. It's happened with Chad Mendez. It, it's happened. It's happened just time and time again. They've had guys who've been able to perform and and essentially stay ranked in the higher ends of any division. So right now, this this organization, their excuse me, their team is a good fit for her. And basically, in this fight, in the two past two fights we've seen her in, she's basically been able to outclass her opponents. And she's looked like a wrestling wizard. She's looked like a takedown wizard. She's looked like a ground wizard. And on the ground, I'll put it like this. To me, she's a, she's, she's, I look at her the same way I look at Misha Tate. Misha Tate, they used to call her takedown. And I never thought Misha Tate was a top-end wrestler. Misha Tate was the kind of fighter who was a competent wrestler, not a great one. Where her, she really shined was her ability to control, improve position, and submit people on the ground. Her ground skills, top top notch as far as women fighters went. Her wrestling skills, to me, just weren't anything to write home about. Cavillo's a better wrestler, but she's nowhere the, the dominant wrestler she had shown in other fights. And that got exposed against someone like Calderwood, who's got a build, who's got a lot of physical strength, who's got some decent takedown defense, and has a style of striking that kind of makes going for takedowns or chaining takedowns together, getting position for takedowns, a little bit more difficult. So against Calderwood, you got to see Calvillo have to fight a little bit. And essentially her athleticism was